forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and today I didn't get lost going to my local bagel shop like I have the previous two times. Hey, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I'm not taking no shit. <laughs> oh, oh no, what does that mean? Oh, I, it's just a little inside joke between the three of us right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, why do you get lost going to the bagel shop? I don't understand. You you live in one area. Okay, so I understand how to get to the bagel shop from my house. But the last few times I've been going from physical therapy, which has taken me into this huge, it's like it's in this huge shopping center. And for whatever reason, the area in which I have entered on the way home from physical therapy, I had been unable to orient myself and twice had to call John freaking out because I was lost. <laughs> Okay, so here's the question. What why why do some people have bad senses of direction? We'll like walk out of a store and Mal will be like, Where are we? And I'm like, yeah. We just what? Like Well, people have different skill sets. That's true. And I guess that's why people should want to like go with me in an apocalypse situation. Because I know where we're going. I can orient us. The sun is in the west. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you're talking to someone who has no real interest in surviving the apocalypse. True, true, true. So what's this bagel place? Is it good? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is truly the energy of this show. It's truly like, what is, like you're like, God, I want to get there so bad. It was like, fine. How was it? You're like, that was fine. Oh my God. Um, wow. But it's so funny because today I saw where it was right away and I was like, oh, how could I have been missing it? Are you just acclimating to the new area that you moved to? I guess not. Well, no, I guess today I did acclimate. Yeah. yeah. I love where I live. I've, I've, I am now a West Sider for, for life, hopefully. Um, oh. I find it to be way better than any other part of Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Can't recommend it enough. There are parking lots. Wow. It's way easier to do stuff. Wow. So really recommend. Have you gone to the beach? No, no. No, I have. I've gone to the beach. <laughs> there, okay, people that are like, I live in LA. If you live in LA, you don't go to the beach or you don't go to Disney. I go to the beach. I go to Disney. I'm having a good time. John's never been to Disneyland. What are you talking about? Ever? No. Uh, even as a child? Well, we're he's from the East Coast as well. So I think he went to Disney World. But I, in okay. Florida, I don't think he's ever been to Disneyland. No interest? It seems to be a point of pride. What? What? Well, he doesn't like it, and and I'm not a big. I'm someone that will enjoy Disneyland for like three hours, but I don't need to be there all day because rides spook me. Oh, you don't want to go on any other rides, no, the rides even are like too the intense. teacups or something. Eh, I like experiences. <laughs> okay, I like, I like when it's like here's this experience, but your body isn't being jolted around in any stressful way. Like a so you just want to watch a show. Yeah, watch a show, or like for example, like well, actually. Growing up, that E.T. ride at Universal. Yeah, oh yeah. So you're not going very fast. You're just sort of on a bicycle on a track. Yeah. But I remember I was so 
deathly afraid of E.T. And I also feel like the E.T. ride at Universal has a smell unlike any other smell. Melissa's nodding her head. It has its unique smell that I've never smelled before or since. And if I smelled it, I would be like, that's the E.T. ride at Universal. Oh, my God. This reminds me of a line from the show Transparent where she's talking about one of the girls is talking about like sex with a, a woman or some woman that she's seeing or like I think maybe her own like she something with bodily fluids and she says it smelled brackish and the other girl's like brackish and she's like yeah like the water on Pirates of the Caribbean and I fucking lost it because I know exactly how that smells and I was like holy shit that is such a funny way to describe that yeah there's certain rides definitely that have like very particular smells and I don't want to know what I don't want to investigate what that is I'll never know I don't want to know I'm a Disney adult. I love Disney, which is hard because they're so mixed about gay people. And then they'll throw like gay days. And I'm like, or I don't even. Okay. I actually have never looked into if gay days is an official Disney thing or if gay people just showed up. Like, (laughs) is it like a thing which we kind of love to do that? We're just like showing up to a thing being like, this is gay now. And the people that are in charge of it actively don't want us there. I feel like that is a thing. It Melissa's looking it up. Is is Gay Days an actual Disney thing or is it just something that we decided we were doing? I believe that it is because it's the, the website says Gay Days Anaheim and it does not specifically oh, look like now it. That's interesting. It aligns specifically with Disney, but okay, so all of Anaheim is having a gay day. Yeah. <laughs> An, an, maybe a perhaps unauthorized gay day. My, my new book is called Unauthorized Gay Day. <laughs> Gabby Dunn's story. <laughs> and I won't be, you know what? And I don't want to be authorized. By who? The state? Fuck them. Okay. Well, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. This episode, we had Dr. Monica Vermani, a clinical psychologist on And, you know, I think that maybe the way that Gabby and I view things is a bit different from how she views things. So you might feel the same. You might feel aligned with how she's how she talks about stuff. And later we're going to be talking all about sick burns. (laughs) When are you allowed to really stick it to somebody and roast people? And what type (laughs) of things are we allowed to have sick burns about, if that makes sense? It's my time to shine. (laughs) But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Kendall! California. Kendall Jenner? I don't think so. But maybe. (laughs) That would be such a twist. (laughs) I saw her one time outside and like I've never seen so many cameras chasing one person and it made me feel bad a little bit for her. Yeah, it I, so it it seemed so stressful. Do you like? Would you ever want to be like that famous? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Hi, Gabby and Allison. Longtime listener, circa 2015. Holy crap! First time questioner. This is a question theme you all have addressed before, but it was many years ago. So curious to hear your thoughts now. In short, is it harmful slash immoral to tell someone you can't be with that you have a crush on them? Mm-hmm. The context. Apologies, it's a bit long. Tried to condense. I have a friend slash coworker, let's call him Brid, that I've had a massive crush on for about a year now. 
It started basically when I first met him. It's largely physical attraction, but we also have great banter, inside jokes, and laugh together all the time that contributes a lot to the feels. Here are some reasons I can't slash shouldn't pursue bread. One, we work together almost daily. Yeah. Two, I have a boyfriend. We're not monogamous, but his stipulation currently is that we can both only see women slash femme envies. He's straight, I'm bi. But this situation is a whole different issue slash question. This is not going to be the case for much longer, though. Okay. Number three, I know I wouldn't want a relationship with bread because we have very different priorities in life. I'm sorry, but the, the nickname bread is killing me. It's so- I'm over here stressed out for a whole different reason. No, I know. I just find it such a funny day thing. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's 32, I'm 27, and looking to seriously settle down, which I am not. Number four, I have no idea if he feels anything other than platonically about me. We flirt a decent amount, but I think it's friendly. Maybe he's just good at putting me in the not an option box, a skill I severely lack. Of course, the fact that we can't possibly date or bang makes it way harder to let go of my feelings. And every time we hang out one-on-one, I have, I have such an urge to tell him how I feel. Part of what stops me from saying anything is wondering whether it's selfish cruel to tell someone you have a crush on them when nothing can be done about it. Or does it just depend on your motivation? I'd want to tell him not because it'll make something happen, but partially because I want to know how he feels. Generally, with other crushes I've had on friends, once I know they're not interested, the crush can finally fade. And partially because it feels weird for him to not know, like I'm keeping important information about our friendship from him. Should I tell Brad that I like him more than platonically? Bonus question, should it be before or after I'm allowed to date men slash masks? Confusedly, Kendall, she, her, California. Sorry for the boring location. P.S. Thank you both for all these years of being real and vulnerable online. As a bisexual woman with ADHD, depression, and anxiety, your stories have helped me through so many tough years, and you both frequently make me think about things in new ways. I appreciate having your voices as part of my life all these years. Well, we appreciate you listening to us for, yeah, Kendall, for seven years. Kendall, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm about to go off, but I love you. <laughs> I can feel the tension, the tension <sighs> boiling in the corner. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Are you even going to address the main question or are you going to just address the other thing? I'm okay. I'm about to alienate probably a lot of you guys. The, the, the one penis policy is sexist and also transphobic and also controlling and also bad. And I know that this is a common thing in polyamory and I need people to unpack. Can you explain what, what they're it is? actually saying? That it's, it's largely a, cis couple where the woman is bisexual and the man says you can sleep with women we and I'll get into fem nbs you can you can sleep with women but you cannot sleep with other men the differentiation between fem nbs and mask nbs really bumped for me because to me it indicates that your partner believes that non-binary people who present as femme or non-binary people who I think I'm going to go with are AFAB count as women and are non-threatening because they count as women. And saying that women and femme NBs are allowed, aka not threatening, aka like not a problem for this person is like deeply sexist and transphobic. And your partner should absolutely examine that because And I know you said it's not going to go on for a long time. And I understand that polyamory is about people's levels of comfort. But like, 
if if he is saying fem NBs, does he mean AMAB people who present feminine who are non-binary? I bet he doesn't. Uh, does he mean trans women? If he says women, does he mean trans women who are who have not chosen to have bottom surgery? What does he mean exactly? And so the idea that then it's allowed for then like you have to open it up to men and to mask non-binary people or mask people puts a genital divide on this type of thing that I think is like very toxic and like puts this thing of like mask NBs. What do you mean there? Do you mean like NBs who are AMAB? Do you mean AFAB MBs who present masculine? Why is that then like couched with cis men, which I, I'm assuming that's what bread is. So I think I understand you're saying that this is something that will not be the case for long, for much longer. But I do think it ties into the crush on bread in a way, because then it's given more importance by the, the one penis policy that you seem to have in your polyamory. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I'm like shaking a little bit because I don't like this type of situation at all. And it is almost entirely not the bisexual woman in the relationships like idea. It is, and if it is fine, but it's like almost largely like a boundary that the cis male partner will have. And it's not a boundary. A boundary is you saying what you would do in the instance of that person doing what they would like to do. A boundary is not you making a rule saying, I'm the only person in your life that I deem threatening because why don't you deem those other people threatening? And why don't you deem those other people as counting? The, and again, Kendall, not about you. A, a just a larger problem, especially the the I think there's a a very pervasive invisibility of AMAB non-binary people, which one puts women and non-binary people in a group together. For instance, I think people mean well when they say this space is for women and non-binary people, but I think in their minds when they say that they're saying women and 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 afab non-binary people and i think that that creates a weirdness where amab non-binary people or not fem non-binary people or whatever it is are like they're not that's not what you're thinking of and i just i think it then shows what how you're viewing these people and how you're viewing trans men and how you're viewing trans women let's say even binary so I don't know if your partner is straight, but like this is just a general whatever. Now, when it comes to bread, I think you can't say anything to this person until you and your partner have figured out that aspect of your polyamory. Because you might say this is going to change soon. And then your partner is like, you say, okay, I want to try to like pursue something with bread, even if bread is interested. And then your partner has a like full meltdown because Brett is, is a man. So it's almost like irrelevant if you say anything to Brett because 
you're not able to do any, you're not really able to do anything about it. You don't know if you'll be able to do anything about it. On the flip side, if Brad wants a committed relationship and that's what this person is looking for and you know that, I don't think you should put anything on this person at this point in your life. Like, I just don't, I don't think he owes it to tell you that if he's interested in you or not, especially if you're like, I'm just curious if he's interested. Why does he have to disclose that to you? I don't think this person, I don't think anything is about this person. And I don't think he has to like become involved in this at this point. You know what I mean? Like leave, leave him out of it. Yeah. The thing that really bumps for me is that he's your coworker, right? Yeah. So I kind of, and a lot of people disagree with me about this, but I think if you're in a coworking environment, office environment, you're seeing this person every single day. I don't think it is appropriate to put feelings out there because people should feel like they're at work and not like that they are the object of, you know, romantic or sexual attraction. Yeah. Um, and so like that boundary. Especially if nothing can be done, if you're not asking him out. Yeah. And look, obviously coworkers date all the time, but yeah, I mean, right. Like, you know, this is a messy situation. You know that like you're looking for different things. Like I think the only time two coworkers should date is like, when from the very beginning, they have like a very clear plan in place. It is like super mutually decided and there are like clear boundaries and things are figured out and like how are you going to behave at work? What happens if you break up? Right. All of that. And like, yeah. and, and it should be the value add should be so high, right? Yeah. Like, like you can actually see a real like this could be like a real long term relationship or you even know like or that you, you would be able both... to be with that person yeah. right like the you know because it is a huge risk to date your coworker, yeah. and so for this situation where like the, it's it all kind of feels up in the really air messy I feel like it is it is kind of yucky to put that out there on bread it feels look like sometimes we want to flirt we want to do stuff and it's like yeah I want to do it but like Doing so is selfish. In it's a way. impulse control. Like, yeah, like it is like, and then you have to kind of like look at the cost benefit of doing the selfish thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like it's something that like is really worth it, right? The cost benefit is worth it because the cost isn't that high and the benefit is huge. And so mm -hmm. like absolutely go do you. But this feels like a scenario where like, I don't know, like the cost could be really high because you could either make Leave this your person job. be really uncomfortable mm -hmm. with you declaring feelings for them you know like if they haven't done anything to signal to you that they feel the same way and you know that you are not what they're looking for like it, it just feels like a like a landmine or like, I mean maybe he is flirting but it's also like then what <laughs> and I would sort of like examine like why do you need to know if this person likes you that's what I'm saying like I think I think a lot about my and and again this is just me speaking about me. I, I don't, I, I can't, I hate projecting on stuff like this onto other people, but I, I often take a lot of thought about like, is this just my ego? Huh. Is the thing that, that is distressing me that I want some form of satisfaction of like, that yeah. they like me back, that they care about me, that yeah. they think about me a certain way, you know, like for a long time, like after like my fiance left me, I was like, oh, it'd be so cool if he came back. And it's like, but why? Like that would like I 
uh, that would you disrupt want it. my yeah. life. Yeah. I don't know if that would be the best for my actual well-being. Right. But it would feel real good from my ego. Right. You know, and right. like once I realized that it was like an ego driven thing, I was able to sort of like release the desire a little bit. So I think just sort of like examining that if that is what's at play for you, mm-hmm. like why can't you just sit with having a crush on somebody and not yeah. knowing how they feel towards you back like could be helpful. Also, for me, sometimes I make a really good new friend and then I'm like I have a crush on them, but it, the crush is just like I want that I like this friend. Like and then, so I have to wait and like parse out like do I actually have a crush on this person? Or am I just like excited that they're my friend and I think that they're attractive? And like a lot of times with men, you're like, well, if I think they're attractive and I like being around them, surely it's a romantic or sexual attraction. When sometimes it's just like, this is a cool friend. And like, and you know, like you can just like slow your roll. And I think we've talked about this before, but like you can, you don't need to attach action to having a crush yeah like a crush can just exist as a crush it doesn't yeah. need to go anywhere yeah i think you're maybe focused on like but what will the final outcome be and maybe the final outcome is you just have a crush on your coworker. yeah that's okay <laughs> and it doesn't or, there's nothing needs to be done about it hear me out acting out and having a crush on this inappropriate guy because of the one penis policy that well, probably we're, needs to be really speculating. That pu- that probably needs to be addressed, right? Who's the worst person you could possibly be into mm. as a rebellion against this um, restriction that is uh, unhealthy? Don don don. Think about that. <laughs> well, we hope that that helped and um, wasn't too we harsh. <laughs> we uh, Kendall, I just have a lot of like. Like I like started shaking answering the question and it's not about you. It's just I have a lot of like about certain things that were mentioned and you already know it's not okay because you're saying it's going to change. So you already know. You knew. You knew asking this question. (laughs) And if you want to submit your international question and make Gabby shake with rage. (laughs) Not just rage. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, You can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Dr. Monica Vermani. Stay tuned. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Dr. Monica Vermani, a clinical psychologist, public speaker, teacher, and author in the field of mental health and wellness. In her private practice, Dr. Vermani balanced well-being. She provides a multifaceted treatment approach through a variety of techniques and treatments. And in her new book, A Deeper Wellness, Dr. Vermani provides the tools to create a deep, authentic sense of well-being. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. This is top a topic that we love to talk about. <laughs> you know, I think I'd love to just ask to begin with, you know, wellness is a term that is thrown around so much. It's kind of become monetized as an industry. And so what what does wellness like actually mean to you as a, you know, a clinical psychologist? So, you know, wellness encompasses mind, body and soul health is is my definition. I always feel that, you know, all of us are perfect and a work in progress and it's nice to work on every aspect of ourselves to be a better version of ourselves. And so wellness to me encompasses every area of our life and trying to 
look at a level of balance and wellness because most of us do struggle with just trying to get balance in every area of our lives. Like what areas specifically do you think need to be balanced? So, you know, we all have life tasks of work, school, social, intimacy, self-care, spirituality. And spirituality, my definition is you connecting to your spirit, you enjoying your own company. Many of us don't like our own company. We struggle and we're always finding distractions or trying to stay away from ourselves or keep so busy that we don't stay with the content in our head. So to me, true spirituality is being at peace with the content in your head and liking your own company, which many people don't often do. And so in those areas of life tasks, are we feeling like we're people that we want to be? You know, at the end of the day, when you die, you know, the people at your funeral are the people you leave behind. How do you want them to remember you? It's kind of nice to pause and reflect and say, am I living a life in accordance to how I want to be remembered? How I hope people saw me, how the interactions in my social life, in my work life, in my personal life reflected me being a well person, someone who's kind and generous or a good spirit. And I think it's nice for all of us to pause and reflect in the rat race of the world to not be so well adjusted to sick society that we're constantly racing and not realizing our impacts on others are not as kind and generous and compassionate as we really hoped they would be. Yeah, I know for me, like changing my relationship with myself was, you know, such a game changer and it yeah. sort of like set this seed for everything else and how I move through the world. But I know that that can be really hard for some people. You know, I think that people have some really deep seated beliefs that they are terrible that they're negative talk like, about you know that's yeah. especially if you you know have a tendency towards depressive episodes it can be really hard to get out of that spiral and so yeah. how do you recommend people kind of like take that first step to start to enjoy themselves yes yeah, so the first step to treatment is always awareness right and when I say treatment that's what you're doing you're sometimes looking at things about yourself that you don't love and fine-tuning it to make it better and so you're treating a condition that you don't love to make it more, you know, adaptive and healthier and, and kinder or compassionate. You know, when you said um, negative thoughts, yeah, everything is a thought deep down inside. If you really pause and reflect when we're born, if you look at children, they're in the moment, just like that beautiful pet of yours, like they're in the moment here and now they're connected to their senses. They're doing, they're acting, they're being but they're not overthinking things. And so when you look at a child, they're in high self-esteem, looking in the mirror, saying beauty. They're not comparing themselves to others. They're unconditionally loving. They'll hug, kiss you, hug, kiss you, even if you don't kiss them back. Same with the pets. They keep coming back regardless of what mood you're in or what you're going through. They're living in the moment. But then somehow as children, which each of us were once, from a state of beauty, high self-esteem, positivity, how do we grow out of that? How did we start picking thoughts and holding on to them like dire truth? It's important for us to reflect what are facts and what are fears. Fears are self-doubt, but where did the doubt come from? As a child, you see people, you know, children playing and being in themselves. And then at some point, they start attaching themselves to negative concepts, whether it's role model through parents and yep. blueprints, or it's, uh, you know, abuse and difficult challenges or bullies or peers or communities or spiritual groups that influence us to teach us to be different than who we are. And then we lose our connection to ourselves and our truth, and we start fueling becoming an external or an expected self more than being our true selves. And so deep down inside, I always feel like we had it right at one point, and then we kind of got away, and then our genetics got involved with mood and anxiety and 
you know, moral modeling behavior through our parents and blueprints and sometimes horrible incidences and catastrophes. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control our coping skills and how we manage it. And that many times it's not role modeled in a healthy manner. So we sometimes just repeat cycles of abuse or patterns of self-scrutiny, judgment, criticism. We're so bloody hard on ourselves that we get into a cycle of spiraling with anxious loops, catastrophizing, always fearing about the worst case scenarios. And you start learning to pull thoughts and hold on to them like truth versus challenge them. So when you say the first step to getting healthy, pause and reflect. You know, am I choosing thoughts on a day-to-day basis that I reinforce through rumination or, um, you know, repetition inside me even? Do I reinforce things that help me grow, feel better, more inspired? Or am I depleting myself day-to-day with self-scrutiny, judgment, criticism, and comparing myself? We all compare. I always tell people when I see somebody a little bit lesser than me, I'm like, I grew from there. When I see somebody better, I can acquire their skill and become it. But many times when we see people and we compare them to ourselves, we kind of poop on ourselves and we get hard about what we're missing and we're lacking versus I can grow and be better. So I think, you know, it's it's one of those things is it's nice to pause and reflect of where did I learn certain habits and here and now, okay, I maybe didn't have the awareness before, but why don't I pause and look at things that I can actually take steps towards to better now, whether it's challenging thoughts, whether it's getting some help with its learning new tools and resources, and sometimes even recognizing, oh, I'm carrying my mom's stuff. This is not mine. These are not my beliefs. These are not my narratives. This is what my mom reinforced, and I can choose differently. And so it's important for us to start working on ourselves, but we're so busy sometimes, always staying distracted that we don't necessarily make time for ourselves to go inwards, pause and reflect, and look at my day-to-day life. Are we plagued by more negative thoughts or positive ones? The monkey brain is the monkey brain. We all got one. You got to sometimes look at what is the quality of my thoughts on a day-to-day basis. You can't have two simultaneous thoughts at the same time. So either it's a negative one or a positive one. And when we have negative thoughts, am I holding on to it like truth and ruminating and holding on to it and repeating it over and over? And whatever you focus expands then. So it makes it more negative with behaviors and habits. Or am I reframing it and challenging it and looking at the accuracy of the thought to maybe now find a better way to think or plant the seed of what I want to manifest versus what I'm afraid of? Because that's what the future is about. Future's imagination hasn't happened yet. And so you can imagine best case scenarios or worst case scenarios. Oftentimes we always worry about worst case scenarios in fears that, you know, bad things will happen. I won't be able to cope with it. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I heard someone speaking recently about that we all lie to ourselves. So why not tell ourselves nice lies? (laughs) Yeah, I like that one. I like that one a lot. It is a good way. Sometimes they say fake it till you make it. And that's what they mean. Sometimes you want to embody a sense of being of who you want to be, even if you don't concretely believe on the inside you are that person. Sometimes as you reinforce the positives, one day you wake up and you're like, I actually aligned to that statement. Yeah. And like, you know, if you don't know what's going to happen anyway, why not assume a good thing will happen instead of the worst thing? (laughs) Whoa. It's hard to do. I'm not going to say it's an easy thing. When we've had years of repeating negative thoughts or self-scrutiny or feeling like people judge us in a negative manner, it is hard to break negative cycles, which is why sometimes we do have to reach out and get help. 
I'm basically in like a neuroscience class. I think it's called like physiological um, psychology right now for my grad program. <laughs> and my professor said something that was so interesting where he was like, when we are born into our families, we learn to adapt to how they operate. But then what we've learned, how well does that work for our later life, right? Like how well does that those adaptations work when we're adults? And do we need to readjust to the new reality of where we are and who we're living with? And, you know, like do those yeah. tools that we develop for the, our individual families work well for greater society? And so I imagine, and I kind of blew my mind in a lot of ways because yeah, it made upset. a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm upset right now. <laughs> I'm like searching my mind like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but so how do you sort of notice if maybe these, the way that you have been navigating the world, which makes sense because that's what your family taught you, maybe isn't serving you anymore and that you need to maybe navigate the world in a, in a different way? So all human behavior has a purpose and all symptoms have a purpose. When your symptoms, mm. so deep down inside, everybody has anxiety, right? Like if I didn't have a little bit of anxiety right now, I'd be asleep. There <laughs> has to be a level of anxiety just to help you function, to be alert, to know your environment and to perform and get things done. So, you know, we all have symptoms. The key is recognizing when your symptoms hinder you or hold you back from living life successfully or at peace. When it's like an anxiety disorder or something. Bingo. Becomes, yeah. Bingo. And realize that you're taking physiological psych. That talks about genetics. That talks about your physiology. You know, some of us through our genetics and an inherited mood and anxiety or substance abuse or certain things that do tend to repeat in cycles. We have to be aware of where we came from. If my family has a whole history of heart disease, I should be careful about what I eat. You know, it's nice for us to recognize what are facts and fears. Sometimes your fears are based on truth. And then you got to question, what am I doing to better myself to do some preventative care? So I always love when I get younger and younger people in my office, because many times parents get better and then they recognize, oh, I see anxiety in my kid right now. Mm -hmm. They're getting anxious about going to school and stuff. And I get these seven, eight year olds in my office sometimes with their parents to work on preventative care. And it's interesting, children under the age of 11 manifest anxiety in their body. They don't necessarily have the cognitions yet. They don't have the thoughts attached. They're not aware of it. So when I used to work at Lakers Mental Health Center and where I used to work with children with anxiety under the age of 11, you're teaching them how to manage their physical, physiological symptoms and feel empowered versus afraid and timid and like giving into the tummy ache or the butterflies or the headache. And as adults, our physical symptoms are intense, which is why we sometimes are like, I'm not doing well. But there is a thought that you can catch that ties to that physical. It is your thought, whether it's conscious or unconscious, that leads to physical sensations and emotions that also then leads to consequential maladaptive behaviors that we do, like avoidance, denial, procrastination, staying in bad relationships, staying in a workplace that, you know, we could do better in not speaking up, not confronting our fears, not doing exposures, and instead becoming agoraphobic and staying housebound. It's important for us to recognize how my thoughts affect my not only moods and physical symptoms, but my behaviors as well. How is it limiting my life? And so by recognizing your limitations, you know, you can then take actionable steps, whether it's going to a medical doctor dealing with the physical symptoms, like lowering the volume of anxiety so you have the courage to challenge things, or it's going to a therapist and learning meditation, cognitive behavioral therapy to challenge thoughts. 
there are tons of tools out there, but it's important for us to recognize our parents did the best they could with what they had. And Ideally. it's not about blaming them. <laughs> Ideally. Ideally. But, and they might have not got the help. And that was their own fears and anxieties. And it's not about could have, should have, and blaming them. It's about here and now, how do I master my life by taking control and moving forward? You know, sometimes staying stuck in the past just really keeps us stuck. And it's about us recognizing where we came from, take the good and use it. And the stuff that didn't work for you, or you recognize is not healthy for my background, let me find a way to reconceptualize it, take charge now as an adult and move forward. Can you, with kids, like the preventative care can can you get out a, ahead of stuff without the parents like making big changes? Ha, ah, big one. So one reason why I didn't continue to work with children is, the parents. is you do have to cooperate <laughs> yeah. with the parents. And yeah. I'm great with the kids and I was great with the adults. And I love adults because they can actually take charge of their life, move out of their parents' home, mm-hmm. materialize new things, go on medication if they like. So, yes, you do need to recognize the ripple effect. And unfortunately, and fortunately, parents are a huge influence. And so again, many times when you're in pain, you're spilling around to others. It is important for people to recognize that if you're not working on you, you're also impacting your children. You're impacting your immediate environment. And so as parents, yeah, you do have to recognize that if your child has anxiety, are you role modeling some of that? And I used to sometimes meet parents who used to be like, here, help my child, but they weren't willing to see their symptoms. And the nice thing I find in my private practice is I work with a lot of adults as they get better and more empowered and see how they're different from their parents. When they have children, they're like, do you mind if I bring in my kid to learn that meditation from you so that we can reinforce it at home? Or as they're learning it, they're reinforcing it in their household, how to challenge negative thoughts. So I do find, you know, when parents do their own work and work on being a better version of themselves, they are better role models to their kids as well as better partners. Mm -hmm. You know, many times we don't recognize, but when you're in pain, you spill over onto others. Mm -hmm. Pain meaning symptoms that are loud, then others around you have to coddle you or enable you or manage things. And sometimes that's not healthy for us to like spill over onto others in an unhealthy way. But we also go into a ripple effect with health. As I work on me as a better version of me, there's a ripple effect of people benefiting from me working on myself by learning healthy habits, modeled behavior, and not having to always have to pull me out of the hole when I'm in a dark place. Yeah. Because I know how to self-soothe now. Right? Yeah. You mentioned um, meditation. And then Mm -hmm. there's also like in your bio, it talks about like EMDR and breath, body, mind practice. So can you explain what EMDR is actually? Because I feel like that's come up a lot lately in pop culture. (laughs) Yeah. So EMDR is uh, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. When you go to sleep at night, your eyes go back and forth when they are in REM sleep and in deep sleep. And during that time is where all your dreams and your memories come out too. So what we often do is we're bringing in bilateral stimulation, whether it's a device or it's you following my fingers or you're tapping. Um, It's a way for people to go into their memories easier while they're awake. And this process allows you to also go into traumas. And, you know, there's different layers of traumas. There's some people with 
very catastrophic, significant traumas that have impacted their life in one second. And then there's some people who've had multiple traumas, which is chronic PTSD, where you've had chronic abuse growing up or you've had multiple incidences. Many times we remember our past or our traumas and it should be just a memory in the past without the affect. But many times we're walking around day to day and our affect is just as heightened just by the thought of the memory of what we went through. So what I call it is emotional debris. Every time you go through something difficult in life, it kind of gets lodged in your nervous system Mm -hmm. and then day to day triggers, open it up. Mm -hmm. And as you get triggered, you're bringing in yesterday's issues into today's moment. And so many times things that are triggering us today have nothing to do with today, have to do with a time where I was bullied, I was not treated well, I felt stupid, I didn't feel good enough, I didn't feel capable, I felt vulnerable, I felt unsafe. And so EMDR is a beautiful way to work through layers of trauma, regardless of the trauma. It could be, you know, a misunderstanding with people, it could be comparison with your sibling, it could be a devastating first responder experience um, as they were at work going through a a traumatic situation. So regardless of the level of trauma, the nice thing is a right therapist who's facilitating the process will hold you in a space of safety as you process the memory and recognize what did you personalize from that memory. So many of us go through horrific things day to day, but some of them stick and some of them don't. And you sometimes question why the ones that don't, you didn't personalize yourself to it. Mm-hmm. And the ones that you did, you personalize. I'm not good enough. I'm not uh, smart enough. Nobody's going to love me. I'm a bad person. You know, guilt, shame, betrayal. Or just yeah. sometimes a feeling of not being safe, right? So not like being in you control. Don't necessi- yeah, like the loss of control. Can loss be of really control. Triggering, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, control is an interesting one because I always, you know, tease friends and stuff like you're born with the uncertainty of not knowing how and why, how and uh, when you're going to die. So you're meant to be born with the uncertainty of not knowing things and being comfortable with it. But we spend most of our life due to anxiety and fear, sometimes learning how to control things so that we don't, we can prevent harm, but we always still walk around not knowing when and how we're going to die. And we're all going to die somehow. And so it's important sometimes to realize that we're meant to be comfortable with uncertainty, but we spend day to day always afraid of uncertainty. What's the next bad thing that's going to happen to me? What's the next problem I won't be able to manage? And that fear is anxiety and self-doubt. And self-doubt, I think, is the biggest issue most of us are dealing with. And if I had to give you one major problem that we all should work on is self-doubt. To date, life only gives you what you can handle. You've handled it. Even if it was the worst thing ever, you're still here. You're handling it. How can we handle things better is about wellness. And it's important for us to start recognizing day to day, am I walking around with self-doubt that I can't handle the next bad thing that happens or the next breakup or the next conflict or the next work pressure? And where is this fear and self-doubt coming from versus confidence? Look at how far you've grown. Look at the skill set that's come from your suffering. Because suffering and symptoms have a purpose. Many times it's a catalyst for change. It forces you to shift, whether it's getting a new workplace, getting a new partner, getting help, or seeking, you know, medical treatment for symptoms that are really, really loud now. We sometimes get caught up in the suffering, but we don't recognize every time we suffer, it's also a catalyst for change to somehow better ourselves or our skill sets so we're better equipped for life too. 
I do want to I do want to push back a little on that because sure. I think that that puts all of the onus on the individual. And I think a lot of suffering yeah. is outside of the individual's control. A hundred percent. I don't think you can like tough your way out of poverty yeah. or racism nope. or oppression or, you know, and so how mm-hmm. there, I think there needs to be a balance in the way that we talk about this stuff where it's not. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Like, I don't think people need trauma to get better <laughs> or also, to have a good life. Also, sometimes it's not like, it's like, oh, why did this happen? And it's like, yeah. it just. It just fucking happened, Happened. dude. Like, it's not like. And that's pretty much what I would say is like shitty things happen every day that we go through catastrophic. People have, you know, dynamics that are born into that are horrific. And it's not downplaying the suffering. But if you get caught up in the suffering, sometimes that story of suffering affects your life forever and you never give yourself a chance to get past it. So horrible things happen every day to people. The key is here and now, what can I do to better this person, regardless of what happened to me? I can't change what happens to us, but I can maybe assume some control instead of feeling vulnerable to a place where I'm broken, I'm not good enough, and I reinforce negative statements from those traumas that keep impacting me to get re-traumatized. So what happens is oftentimes if you attach yourself to your suffering of whatever has happened. It's not downplaying. People suffer in great, enormous ways. And I work with PTSD responders. I work with 9-11 responders. I have seen people go through horrific things, but it's also as a therapist humbled me to see how much strength we have as people, how people overcome, reinvent themselves, recreate themselves, better other people. You know, I have a patient, her daughter, left her career to become a doctor because she wanted to be a better one from all the doctors that she saw her mother struggle with that weren't good. And, you know, you see these inspiring stories from people suffering amongst the stories of suffering. But then I also see people who are stuck in the spiral of just feeling broken from their childhood abuse or their suffering, that they're so caught up in yesterday's suffering. They don't allow themselves to live in a healthy way today because there is still beauty amongst the chaos. You know, one reason why I love lotus flowers, it's my logo symbol, is lotuses are beautiful flowers, but they're born in swamp water. And each and every one of us have our swamp water of dysfunction, chaos, and things that we're not too happy about. But sometimes it's important for us to see the beauty and the growth and the skill set that comes from some of our dysfunction. But don't get me wrong, I have a lot of people who had beautiful lives and catastrophic traumas have shaped their reality be different today. It's not downplaying what they've gone through. It's reminding them that here and now you can still recreate a life that is good amongst the bad. And I think that's that's definitely true about people whose suffering is in the past, maybe. But there are people who, you know, can't put food on the table. They can't they can't support their children in the ways that they want to support their children. They they are, you know, there are systematic problems that are happening. And so I yes. guess for people like that, where their day-to-day life is, you know, filled with struggle and and stress, which is we know so bad for the the body, like really bad physically. Like, mm-hmm. And and it's not them, it's not that they can just like manifest their way out of, you know having Mm -hmm. medical debt, like, you know, like what is there things that that can be done to sort of still find some joy or comfort or stress release, even though your external circumstances remain kind of horrific? 
Yeah. And, you know, when we're in, um, I volunteered at an orphanage in Haiti uh, when Haiti was having their disasters. And I remember going there and there were these little kids that had so much disease, so much poverty, no shoes, no proper clothing. And we went as a team to go in and it humbled you to see how much joy they still found in day to day when they had so much pain and suffering and they had so many limitations in their day to day life. You know, I think it's often our judgment. Life is a series of experiences. It's our judgment. And, you know, sometimes it's not downplaying day to day life of what people go through. But I know people who have this cur- the conditions that you talk about and they still make time to see me for therapy. They still uh, find fulfillment with their children or bring in hobbies and interest and art, um, sew their clothes and do things that bring them pride when their kids wear it. I I see a lot of beautiful stories amongst the chaos. Everybody has suffering. That's the fabric of life. We, I think, sometimes look at each other's life stories and we judge one suffering as worse than the other. But the truth is, I think everybody on a range of emotions suffers and goes through the same range. We just sometimes judge the stories of their suffering as one worse than the other. On a human level, I think you always have to remind yourself Everybody's going through something. Key is not recognizing one's better than the other. It's more recognizing here and now, how can I take the edge off? How can I bring a little more joy? And sometimes it's just bringing things back to simplicity. I learned a lot from my patients that are in chronic pain of how they still bring in joy amongst the pain. And it humbles me to recognize that when we're in a first world country or we have first world problems, you know, everybody still has pain. It's not about minimizing them to say, oh, this other country has worse problems. It's about pausing and reflecting to say, we all have our story. Stay in your lane. How do I make myself better? As you work on you to be better, there's a ripple effect, whether it's your immediate family members, your friends, your colleagues, your society as a whole, or the world as a whole. Work on you, regardless of your story, regardless of your trauma, and try to see how you can better from this moment to the next. Try to be the best version of you. Many times we throw in the towel and we get caught up in the stories of our suffering and we just ruminate and we stay there. Recognize that there are resources, there's people out there. Am I feeling alone in my pain is a big one I saw with the pandemic. People felt alone and they weren't. Everybody was going through similar or versions of suffering in the pandemic, whether it was feeling alone or feeling overwhelmed or overworking or underworking or not having a job, everybody had some sort of pain or struggle or adjustment to the pandemic. And I think it's important for us to talk to one another and realize that the purpose of life is inclusion. Let's talk about things so everybody else can normalize how normal it is. Many of us recluse and in um, some cultures, I find there's a lot more inclusion And in some cultures, including Western ones, there's a lot more like separation and division. The separation sometimes makes us have more suffering because we don't feel like people can relate. Truth is everybody can relate. This conversation we're having taps into people on different levels. We're human beings with human problems. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you and more about your book? So you can find me on drmonicavermani.com. My website has everything there. The book is on Amazon. It's called The Deeper Wellness. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you a lot, too. Lovely meeting you both. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. Just between us. 
granted, just between us, it's time for hypotheticals. Woo! And you guys have asked for it. You said more Melissa, please. So we delivered. Here I am. <laughs> Thank you for playing hypotheticals with me. You both know the rules, but for new listeners, hypotheticals is a game where I provide you with hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you tell me what you would do in that situation, and I decide whose answer I like the best. Wow. And that's going to be hard because you like both of us equally. It's true. Mm. Melissa, slightly more. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the longevity. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. So we're the boring married couple and you're the shiny new toy. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of 10 years goes out with a group of friends on a two-day boat trip. The first night, your partner gets really freaked out about being on the open water. <laughs> Something they weren't expecting to get freaked out about. So they decide to distract themselves by attempting to seduce one of their oldest friends, thinking it would never actually happen, but enjoying the challenge. Unfortunately, the seduction works and they hook up which causes your partner to get over their fear of the open sea and feel very attractive. Would you stay with oh my this God. cheater? This is that thing where it's like maritime law. We're yeah. like, does it really count? I was just on a boat, actually. and I tried said, to invite myself. You did try to invite yourself. Mm -hmm. And they said, um, you can smoke weed on land, but you can't smoke weed on the, on the ocean because it's not legal because of maritime law on the ocean. Isn't that weird? Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I didn't even explain this whole boat situation. I'll explain it next. I'll explain it next episode. Uh, okay. <laughs> We're on the edge I, of our seat. I think, no, I would not stay. You wouldn't? No, because why am I not on the boat? Yeah, I wouldn't stay either because, like, this is dumb. Like, why? It is. Why? There are other ways to get over your fears. And if you're, quote unquote, pretending to be attracted to somebody so that you feel better about yourself, like, you were attracted to them to begin with. Right, that's a long con. Yeah. No, they, they are attracted, but like imagine like, it's like almost like you going out and being like, okay, I'm going to, who is your number one celebrity crush? Tom Holland. Tom Holland? Michael B. Jordan. Okay, great. So you two are each individually out. You see your big time celebrity crushes and you think to yourself, this is a cool challenge. Let me see if I can seduce my celebrity crush. Thinking in no world. Well, both of you are eerily actually, confident. I actually think so I, I feel could like get... I think if I really put in the effort, I could get Tom Holland. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I was once in I the same out. place with Michael B. Jordan. We locked eyes and he kind of did a little thing. And if we were closer, I feel like we could I think you could get him. Yeah. I think once <laughs> I've had top surgery and I've been on T like another year, I could absolutely land Tom Holland. All right. So imagine it's me in a room with Nathan Fielder. And I'm... <laughs> 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 and I'm desperately, am I, I'm going to attempt to seduce him, but we all know it's not going to work out. Yeah. But wasn't this person your friend before? Yeah, it's, but That's it's like, different. Yeah, I guess it's different. Yeah. They're yeah. your friend. All right, so none of us are staying. No. Yeah. I'm just imagining, I guess, like, if it was, like, me and someone I know who is also, like, Stephanie Beatrice, right? Like, I could, I would be like, that's never, I would try and that would never happen because she's monogamous with her husband. But maybe in this scenario, it's like years have gone by. So you think in about seven years, you'll be able to successfully seduce Stephanie Beatrice? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, yeah, here's the I thing. Yeah, I think so. If it was a stranger or like celebrity crush, 
then I'd be okay with it. Maybe. Oh, but, because, but it's it's because it's a friend, yeah. that means that there's other feelings attached to that. Because, right. like, why are they picking this person? Right? Are they the only two people on the boat? Who else is on the boat? There's about eight people on the boat. Do they know oh the God. other people? Yeah, it's they they do like they do like a yearly trip with their friends. Yeah, they've yeah, been planning no, this. I got If go. it is a yearly trip and this is the first time they well, they've never been on the open sea before, no, hard pass. I yeah, I don't no. I don't believe them. Liar. <laughs> it's a good answer. Our next one. Are you a terrible parent? Okay. Your child, seven, hates to have their photograph taken, but you want to remember what they look like at every stage. So for the next 10 years, you sneak photos of them constantly, even when they are sleeping. Are you a terrible parent? Yes, you're not. What are you talking about? You're not respecting their boundaries. Kids need to learn that you will like listen to them and that they have consent at a young age. We're getting our pictures taken all the time, everywhere <laughs> as it is. We're like, they can't escape getting their picture taken. So their pictures exist no matter like if they don't want it taken or not. So like- They will file for a FOIA request and get all the CCTV from when they were a child. Okay, but I don't think you're a terrible parent. Wow. Will they, will I see them on my like, my like doorbell that has a camera? Right. Oh, you would take a, you would record. Yeah. You, you get rings so that yeah, you could exactly. see them. <laughs> or here's the other thing. I want to know why they don't like having their picture taken. That's so sad. Maybe we go to therapy and figure that out. I think a lot of people don't like having their picture taken. I think because I think like my mom, because she nitpicks herself. Yeah. Well, I'm somewhere in between the two of you. But I guess I, I not while sleeping. How about that? You can sneak pictures of them, but not while they're sleeping. Yeah. And set up a series of surveillance cameras inside the home that nobody <laughs> knows about. <laughs> a nanny cam and an eyeball of the teddy bear. How do they feel about video? Great question. They hate it. No. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think you can do it, but not while they're sleeping. How about that? Fair. Weird. And take them to therapy. Why don't they like having their photo taken? Sad. Maybe they have low self-esteem. That's coming from a person that loves to take their pictures. Can't imagine a world where they don't take multiple photos of themselves every day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I um, Meanwhile, I grew up with my mom being like, yeah, you take a terrible photo. <gasps> Ruth. I do, though. I'm not photogenic. Why do you, you always, when we were younger, you would always say that I was so photogenic and you are not. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I can get a good photo of myself, but I, I it doesn't come easily and I get a lot of bad photos of myself. I, okay, but define bad. Where I don't like how it looks. Okay, fine. There it is. There it is. All right, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? Your friend of 15 years has always been super proud of being a natural redhead. Oh, no. It is a big part of their identity. One day, you are walking down the street with them when you bump into their hairstylist. No. Who says, oh, the color is staying great this month. I did a good job. <gasps> your friend then violently throws up all over your shoes as a result of the dye job being uncovered. Would <laughs> you forgive this liar? Why did they do it? I thought I thought this was going to go. One day you walk on them changing and the carpets do not match the dress. <laughs> oh, that would have been better. That would have been better. <laughs> oh, my God. I would forgive them. How, like, are they going, like, what color are they naturally? 
Because if it's like, you know, like a strawberry blonde, they yeah, want to go yeah. for a more ravenous blonde. Uh, sorry. Red. <laughs> <laughs> a more ravenous red? No, they're Ooh. actually like a very like pale, pale blonde. And they have like a deep red hair. But they're always talking about how they're a redhead and how they're like, and how they're special and how there aren't that many redheads left and how their kids are going to have beautiful red hair. But it's all been a lie. Why? I don't know. They want. They just like wanted to feel special. Yeah, I'm like fine Emma with it. Stone. Like she Emma Stone. She admits she's. Not I know a she's, she admits it though. Yeah, I'll forgive. Yeah. Whatever. Why are they throwing? Like, I'll why forgive. is this yeah, so much of it? <laughs> why is this so much? Like, that is what up. I'm angry about Violently them throwing, throwing up, up on me. That's true. I forgot about I that. Hate throw up. Like, I hate. <laughs> The sound, right, the right, smell. Right, 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 right. That's why I want. Like, what if I was like, no, I love throw up. <laughs> this is how I come out about it. I wouldn't. I don't think you could say anything to me that was shocking. Oh, okay. Well, I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> that that's our new TikTok series. Is yeah, trying to shock, shock me. you with anything. <laughs> the shocker. Oh man, that was a whole thing. <laughs> I forgive them. I don't know. Whatever. I forgive them about the redhead thing. But I do not forgive them for throwing up on Yeah, me. what shoes am I wearing? Are they fly? Um, they're uh, Birkenstocks. And so oh, you no, had, my your toes feet? are open. No! That will out. never happen. I will never wear Birkenstocks no! with my toes out. So. No! I wear Birkenstocks. <sighs> well, this is a public service announcement. Not to lie about your... Not, not to make a lie your entire identity. Yeah. Also, like, isn't there, there should be like attorney client privilege, but for hairdressers. Don't Ooh. tell anyone. Don't, That's don't true. tell anyone if someone has extensions. Don't tell anyone if they dye their grays. Keep zip it. Yeah. Mm. I agree with that. All right. Zip it. Very good. We learned something today. <laughs> Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about sick burns. Between us, it's time for topics. X, 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 baby. 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 Ooh, we kind of harmonized. We did. That's why I came in a little bit earlier. Nice. I don't really know what harmony means, but I think we did it. We did it. All right, guys. Let's, uh, let's, uh, no, Shikis, do not leave. Look at all these dogs. I have two dogs Look on my at lap. All these dogs. And I am thrilled about it. I'm jealous. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I brought my pooches to the recording today. So if you want to see them and their beautiful new collars, um, check out our full videos at youtube.com slash just between us. I don't think we can see the collars. Okay. Yeah, the doggos are here. Lying. Doggos are here. Which I understand doggo is millennials like speak and I don't care. I don't ever use it. I don't care. I'm a millennial. I don't care. Are not supposed to say it? Oh, it's just like they make fun of us for being like. Don't include me in this. Whatever. I don't give a fuck. But it's not offensive. It's not offensive. No, they just make fun of us and for everything that we do. Oh, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I've never once thought I was cool. Also, like. I know I am. uh, We. What did we do? We. We bore the brunt of the boomers bullshit. And now y'all want to make fun of us. We didn't do anything to you. Anyway, what about Gen okay. X? They never get blamed for anything. I know. Gen X. Well, they really had a rough go of it. I think their parents left them at home alone all the time. And then they were told they should buy houses they didn't need, they couldn't afford. So I feel bad for you, Gen X. I uh, but yeah. Um, also, we uh, Allison complimented Melissa's lip color. And then I said, yes, Melissa is hot. She's, in fact, the bread to my candle. 
which if uh, you guys... So uh, what happened was Gabby made a joke off screen. I know, but I think... We laughed and Gabby thought, oh, that's so good. I should repeat my own joke. We Absolutely. do have the audio. <laughs> Absolutely. I think so because uh, if you guys want to start using the bread to my candle, uh, <laughs> let me know. I think I could really get that going. Sick Burns, uh, what made you think of that? So something I see a lot of discourse about and, and is like, when people are mad at somebody or like want to make fun of somebody, they make fun of their physical appearance. No. And I just like I'd like to put an end to that. Like, I think there are wonderful creative ways to have sick burns on people that mm-hmm. stink other than mentioning their physical. appearance. Agree. Absolutely. Agree. Mm-hmm. So what are like some ways to to really burn somebody without doing that? Well, the thing I love about sick burns and the thing I love about roasting is that in my mind, it's it's the best when it comes from a loving place. Uh-huh. And it's the best when it comes from, I love being roasted. I love roasting people. I love feeling like the person knows me enough to make a joke about me. Like, I love when it's like, you see me, you know me. Hi, Bubba. Oh, sugar. sugar. You see me, you know me. You want to make a joke from a place of knowing me and loving me. That's what I like. I also like... Okay, so oftentimes on RuPaul's Drag Race, they will have roasts. And I think the biggest problem that I see with these people doing roasts is that you have to little bit roast yourself Mm. in the roast. And you also have to roast them for something they like about themselves. So, for instance, if you're going to roast. Okay, uh, this is again Drag Race. Michelle Michelle Visage, right? She's one of the, the judges. She's very New Jersey. She wears a lot of tacky stuff. She talks often about being sort of slutty. So, but if you want to roast her, don't roast her for like riding Rue's coattails. Roast her for something she likes about herself, which is being from New Jersey. Like roast her about, because, you know, roast something that isn't like a sore spot. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's funny. And also a key to roasting is roasting yourself a little bit. Yeah. So you, so for instance, like, you have to say a little dig on yourself. Like you can even start with being like, like for instance, Miss Alvisage, let's say, I'm like, I'm from Florida, which is trashy, but I'm not as trashy as this Jersey thing about Michelle. You know what I mean? Like you have to start by digging yourself because then it creates a level with the audience where like you're self-aware. Do one for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think we often roast you for all of your exes sort of looking the same and being the same kind of per like being the same kind of person. But then John came out of nowhere. So I don't know. There was no roast. No, that wasn't a roast. I'm just, no, that wasn't a roast. That was me making a comment on how, of what I would, the easy roast would be. But now John has ruined it. With his blonde locks. Yeah. I'm the most beautiful baby of New Jersey. Yeah. Which I think he still holds just as an adult man too, right? <laughs> like I think still with those with those rosy cheeks. He won a beautiful baby award for those who missed that episode. Oh yeah, if you missed that episode, he did win a beautiful baby award. I think like it's also good to roast about something the person knows. Yeah. Do yeah. me. Like for instance, Allison, how many dogs do you think you will have to get? Before you make up for how sugar doesn't like you. <laughs> it was just this one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just fancy. Yeah. I will say since I got fancy, the hole in my heart's been filled up. Yeah. 
of for dog affection. Okay. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, I think that sick burns, they come, like Gabby said, from a place of love. But it also comes like from a place of like knowing that person right. enough to know what what would hurt them so you don't do that. Mm-hmm. So it's like I can't come up with one off the top of my head because I think the best ones come in the moment. Like yeah. somebody can do yeah. something and then you. Also, the problem is, is that Allison burns herself all the time. Like the fact that people made jokes about your your boyfriend leaving because of your fiance, fiance left. And then you made that video where John is leaving you in the background of the video. Like, what? who can top that? Do you yeah. know what I mean? You got to get ahead of it. Yeah. Like, you got to burn can, yourself that's first, That's what I'm baby. saying. Like, who can, who, at a certain point, like, I think people burn you and then you do something and it's like, yeah, how can you beat that? Yeah. Or like. <laughs> You're like, it, oh, you don't like me? I don't. Here's my own, you know, like, here's my I own I like thing. myself. Yeah. Yeah. I love when people burn me, but like. I like it because I know that I'm so great that it can never hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But I also think that like sick burns are like becoming part of like uh, political campaigns. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I Roasting. Think, yeah, like like I think that John Fetterman's campaign is doing a really great job of doing sick burns on Dr. Oz. Yeah, and, that, and- <laughs> those come from all facts too. Yeah, but so there is a way to like do a sick burn on someone you don't on like. someone you don't like. Yes, but you have to do it in a responsible way mm-hmm. where yes. it's not again about their physical appearance or about something that like is out of their control. I agree. It has to be something that about them that is an active choice that still yeah. sucks. When it's physical appearance, it's such low hanging fruit. It's not smart. Like people. Talking about Trump's physical appearance. Right. There's so many other things that you can go. Yeah. And roast. Like, why? I just am laughing to myself about Ted Cruz being the Zodiac. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great one. And that's just a rumor you can keep going. That's hilarious. Yeah. Because also, like, you don't want to hurt other people in the process, right? So, yeah. like, when you do burns about people's physical appearance, there are tons of people who right. share those traits who, mm-hmm. like, get burned in the process. Right, right. We're making it, like, specific to something that is, like, truly not good about the person. That's, again, a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's way more. It Then it, I don't think it's doing harm in the process. Right. Yeah. Well, doing harm to the person who's getting that sick burn, but maybe they deserve it. Yeah. Or like, I think talking about like if someone in politics, you know, if someone is clueless or if someone is spreading misinformation or if someone is, I don't know, hypocritical or something, that's what you can hit on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when someone when you it's someone you love, you got to get them for something that, you know, they kind of like about themselves. Yeah. Right. Or that they've made jokes about before, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was uh, I was posting on my emotional support lady Instagram about like how much of a change it's been for me to not like make self-deprecating jokes anymore. Yeah. And someone was like, yeah, but I also feel like it's it kind of fun to poke fun at yourself. So, like, where's that line? Yeah. And I think it is kind of speaking of what you said, like coming from a place of like, you can tell that I still really like myself. Yeah. Versus like shitting on myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just had an example where my sister, she was like, oh, I might have to wear my hair up at work because it's it's so sweaty. And I was like, why don't you ever wear your hair up? 
I was about to be like, is it because of your ears? Because her ears stick out. And Mal was like, don't say that. That's not nice. And so Cheyenne was like, no, it's because like, you know, I don't like to, I, I, you know, like to look nice at work or whatever. And then I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, I'm so glad I didn't say her ears. And then the next text was, and also because of my ears. <laughs> and I was like, see, I know her. I could have fucking said it. Yeah. I could have said it. I don't think you should have said that. <laughs> Mal was like, do not say because of her ears. And That's I was like, for them to so say. this was she knows. That you and Mal were discussing out loud and then texting it to Cheyenne about? Yeah. Got it. And and I was like, she knows. And Mal was like, I know, but don't bring it up without her bringing it up. And then she didn't. And Mal was like, see? And then Cheyenne was like, and also my ears. And I was like, see? Uh, <laughs> no, but also my, but also it was like, you know, I, we were then sort of roasting our grandmother who was like a, really obsessed with fixing Cheyenne's ears. And we were like, Maymay really did a number. <laughs> What's the sickest burn anyone's ever done to you? If you can recall any. Oh my God. People, I'm so easy to roast. I'm so easy to roast. People, there's so many things to roast me about. I've said, have I said this before that, that Drew had one of the best ones? No, what is it? We were, it was for my birthday. My sister had some friends make a video for my 31st birthday because it was during the pandemic. And she had someone make a, she had friends like roast me on video. And Drew was like, this was before I trans, before I was transitioning. And Drew was like, so I'm really, you know, Gabby's an LGBTQ activist and um, it's really amazing the safe space that they've created in their Instagram DMs for trans masculine people. <laughs> And I was like, fuck. <laughs> yep. Like, there's a lot of really good, like, easy ones. I'm like, I'm, an, I'm, you know, arrogant. I'm self-centered. I'm slutty. I'm, you know, like, there's, there's, I talk too much. There's every, you could say everything. <laughs> there's so much. Everyone's been really hitting me with the thing that technically I was engaged before you. Right. So that's, that's a great that's burn. That's a really great burn. That's yeah. a really, you had a great one on the fly where I, we were talking about Mal and I was like, yeah, Mal wasn't a commitment phobe. Like we're engaged. And you just went three years later. And I was like, God damn it, Allison. <laughs> Which really isn't even that long of a time. But you got to take, you got to take your shots when you get them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I love to roast, but it's in conflict with also my desire to be nice. Yeah. But I think you can be nice and get roasted and roast. Oh, my God. The fans roast me so hard. Like talking about nice, like they're, I'm like, if you guys are the the ones who like me, who are the haters? <laughs> like they'll like any cartoon of someone with like big eyes and big glasses. They're like, is this you? Every time. Or like one time I said timeline or I said timeline and it, it's called a for you page on TikTok. And I was like, everything coming up on my timeline. And then like a million of y'all were like, not, not old person, Gabby saying timeline. And I was like, guys, <laughs> cut me some slack. I don't think I've ever roasted Melissa. Try. Um, all I keep thinking, I'm trying to think of roast for you. And all I keep thinking is that like, you're a workaholic. Okay. And that like, it's something I'm formulating it. I don't have anything. Okay, let me think. Oh, I guess just that, like, we all pretend you don't have OCD when you clearly have OCD. <laughs> I don't pretend. <laughs> We're all just like, oh, yeah, it's like Allison's got contamination OCD, but it's like, well, it's just kind of just as bad. 
<laughs> yeah. You are like my worst enabler. Yeah. I send you things all the you time. Send me like new cleaning products. <laughs> no. <laughs> Melissa. She's my, she's my cleaner dealer. <laughs> oh my God. I love this. Wow. And we're all just like, oh yeah, that's totally normal. But Allison's the one with a real <laughs> Like when you were like, we're going to go live on a farm. And I was like, yeah, that'll be great for you. <laughs> I hate going to Disney World, Disneyland, just because I don't like touching things. Right. Sure. I can have, and this is the thing. I can, if I know I'm going to be dirty, I can be dirty. Uh-huh. So it's yeah, like, you've said oh, that. it's a dirty day. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you can even I do can't. a dirty day. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about more about that. <laughs> um your dog is just laying here staring at the door. Yeah, she wants to leave. Sugar's favorite thing in the entire world is to leave. Yeah. No matter where she is, she's at home, she wants to leave home. She's at a new place, she wants to leave there. Never yeah. That's all she loves is to leave. Yeah. And that's what you're used to. Sick <laughs> That was a Sick good one. That burn. was really good. Really good. <laughs> that was really good. What do we rate this episode? <laughs> I rated 11 out of 10 bread. <laughs> I'll rate it 20 out of 15. I'm still trying to get on a boat. Mm. And I'll rate it 27 out of 14 okay bagel places. It's an okay bagel place. <laughs> Thank you to Dr. Monica Vermani for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, you can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye! Forever! Dog!